Sound level? Are you good? That's good. You're listening to the Kids Ask Why podcast with Lockie. show where kids ask why and kids find the answers. This episode is all about coral reefs. Welcome to the Kids Ask Why podcast. Today we're talking about the reef with pop. So, Pop, the first question I have for you is, how is our reef in danger? That's a very, very important and interesting question, Lockie. I guess the reef and all coral reefs around the world um, share some common dangers, and, and most of them relate to the fact that there are so many people in the world and so many people who want to use coral reefs or use the animals and plants that live on coral reefs. So I guess the main dangers to coral reefs around the world, and particularly the Great Barrier Reef here in Australia, is that um, the, the reefs tend to be overused. Sometimes they're overloved. And, and, and apart from those direct uses or direct dangers from, uh, from the use of coral reef by people, there's the overriding danger to coral reefs in the long term from climate change. That's really bad. The second question is, how did you help protect the reef pop? Well, I first started working at an organisation called the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority way back in 1983. And I worked for that organisation, which is part of the government of Australia. I worked for that organisation for about 30 years. And during that time, I held a a variety of jobs, all to do with protecting the reef and allowing the reef to be sustainably used by people. Um, Those jobs that I did were included um, uh, drawing up or helping to draw up management plans for the reef, um, helping the marine park rangers to do their job. And I spent a number of years also uh, connecting with coral reef managers in other parts of the world so that we could all share experiences and lessons learned and ideas about managing coral reefs all around the world so the coral reefs around the world could be safer places for the coral, for the fish and for people to visit. Pop, what's a management plan? Excellent question, Lockie. A management plan basically sets out rules by which people can use a, a natural place like a forest or indeed in this case a Great Barrier Reef. Um, what they tend to do is to, to um, sort out what activities are allowed on the reef and what activities are not allowed um, and then identify places where those activities will be okay to happen and some of those places where those activities may not be okay. For example, um, fishing. Um, is an important way that people use the ocean and the reef. And fishing is in itself not a bad thing as long as it 
is sustainable. In other words, as long as the fish or the prawns or whatever it is that you want to take out of the water have enough um, individuals left in the water when you uh, when you finish fishing so that they can reproduce and produce more fish or prawns or whatever um, to sustain that environment. So the management plan would, could, for example, uh, tell you where you can or cannot fish. It might also tell you the sort of equipment that you may or may not be able to use when you, when you fish. Or it may tell you things about the, the management of the species that you want to take that, so that you protect breeding populations, for example. So management plans are all about controlling human use so that the use of the area, in this case a reef, is sustainable in the long term. In other words, so that people can continue to use and visit a place like a coral reef for years and years and years. And so that, Lockie, when your children visit the Great Barrier Reef, they will see something that I saw when I was young and when I first started working on the reefs. So the management plan is there to regulate and control human use to make um, sure that the environment is sustainable in the long term. How do you, so, Pop? How do you clean up oil spills? Wow, that's a difficult question. Oil spills are a very, very big problem. Fortunately, they don't happen very often. Particularly big oil spills, they don't happen very often. Um, but sometimes, you know, in ports and harbours, little bits of oil uh, gets and fuel gets spilled into the water, and in a harbour and in a port where there is um, uh, port activity, like ships unloading and loading materials, the port authority always has, at least in Australia anyway, and also in New Zealand, they always have an oil spill management plan in place. And that would include being able to use materials to stop the oil, if there is an oil spill, to stop the oil spreading on the surface, or indeed to clean it up. And they've got some very clever ideas to do that. The, the one, the simplest way is to stop the oil spreading, is to use an inflatable plastic boom, like a that's a bit like a fence because the oil floats on top of the water. If they can stop the, um, if they can put a fence on the top of the water, that keeps the oil from spreading around and it makes it easier to clean up. So you'll find that uh, port authorities and also the government. Um, Organisations responsible for oil spill cleanup have got lots of booms that they can deploy. They can blow them up and inflate them with air and like a big long plastic sausage on the water. And that keeps the oil in one place. Then they've got, sometimes they've got special a special small boat with a scoop on the front that helps scoop the oil up and puts it in a container. And apart from that, they've got... Um, uh, you can use in small patches or where there's oil on a beach, for example. You can use um, big plastic pads like a big sponge to pick up oil. Um, oil is a messy thing. Um, it's very hard to get rid of completely, and when it's on the open ocean, it's extremely hard to get rid of. But the uh, one perhaps good thing about oil is it breaks down over time. The sun and the air and the wind and the waves tend to make the oils change its chemistry so that the um, more poisonous parts of the oil uh, evaporate off into the atmosphere and the oil changes shape and it changes um, 
consistency, and that then again also affects the way you clean up. So there's many, many ways to clean up oil spill with uh, technology and equipment, um, but the best way to, to deal with oil spills is to stop them happening in the first place. And the best way to do that is to make sure ships know where they're going and make sure that there's mechanisms in place so that ships don't run into each other and more importantly so that ships don't run into coral reefs and other bits of land. So, Pop, what are other types of pollution in the reef? Well, the probably, interestingly, did you know that when we all go out in the sun, what are we told to do to keep the sun from burning us? We put on... Sunscreen. Sunscreen, don't we, Lockie? Yep. Well, did you know that sunscreen, sometimes if you use, if there's too much of it in the water, can hurt some corals? So, interestingly, um, in, concentra- in, in very high concentrations, something, things like sunscreen can be a bit detrimental to coral, but usually that doesn't happen because... There's such little, so little sunscreen gets in the water over such a big area of reef, it doesn't matter. But it can be a problem in in, in crowded um, areas. Uh, by far, the, probably the biggest problem with polluting coral reefs, like polluting water everywhere around the world, in the oceans and in fresh water, is plastic. There are billions and billions and billions of tonnes of plastic out there in the ocean ranging in size from bits of plastic as big as cars to bits of plastic as tiny as a little head on the pin head on the end of a pin. And it's quite often those little tiny, tiny, tiny bits of plastic that cause the most danger because they get eaten by little, little tiny animals in the water, the plankton, and the plankton think that they're food and they're not, but they actually kill the plankton. And the plankton is are eaten by fish. And then there's less plankton, there's less fish, etc., etc., etc. So probably the biggest single pollutant in the ocean is um, plastic. So Pop, what climate change affects the coral? How does climate change affect the coral? Oh, very, very important question, and a very, very interesting one. There's a few ways that climate change affects coral reefs in particular and not just the fact that the planet is warming. That's obviously the one that's most important and the one that people talk about the most. And because the planet is warming, the ocean is warming. And when the ocean warms, corals sometimes don't like that, which is a bit strange because corals live in warm water. But if that water gets really, really hot, then the corals do a really strange thing. Each coral, which is an animal, has living inside it a whole bunch of little tiny one-celled plants. And it's those plants that provide a lot of the energy for corals. Those plants have got a funny name. They're called zooxanthellae. And those zooxanthellae are really important. And if they're not living properly, if they're not healthy, then the coral's not healthy. And when the coral gets hot, because the water's hot, the zooxanthellae get pushed out of the coral and the coral is basically left with nothing to help feed it and eventually the coral will die. The other issue, and that's the most important, that, that's, that's one of the more obvious problems with climate change, is the fact that the coral goes uh, a white colour and it's called coral bleaching. And that's what people often see and they often talk about and they say that that's a bad thing for the coral, which it is. But there's something that's a bit more 
difficult to see and to understand that's just as important and just as damaging to coral. And that is that the ocean chemistry is changing. The more carbon dioxide there is in the atmosphere means that there's more carbon dioxide dissolved in the ocean. What that does is it makes the ocean water like a very, very weak acid. And you know what acid does to things, don't you? It tends to eat them away. Well, the more acidic the ocean gets, the more that it eats away at the coral skeleton. So the poor old coral that lives in a skeleton made of calcium, the acid in the water eats the calcium away and makes the coral skeleton weak. And the coral skeleton, the coral that's weak from being having a weak skeleton and also the coral that's weak from having its zooxanthellae removed is a coral that's not going to stand up to other, other problems and it's the coral that's going to die even quicker. So what have we got here? We've got a situation where we've got weak coral structure and we've got weak coral because it's not getting enough to eat because its zooxanthellae have disappeared and that could lead to coral that's easily broken down and smashed up in a cyclone or a storm, for example, and that's a coral reef that doesn't grow back. So a combination of acidic ocean water and coral bleaching doesn't sound like a good future for coral. So that's what the big problems with climate change are. They relate to bleaching from warm water and also to from acidification. Pop, if coral starts bleaching, is there any way for it to recover? There, there is, Lockie. That's also a very good question. There is. Corals are very clever and they are quite strong. If the coral bleaches, if it goes white because the zooxanthellae have been pushed out of the body of the coral, then if the water is cooled off again reasonably quickly, those zooxanthellae, those little algae, they can come back into the coral and the coral can recover. So... Just because a coral has bleached doesn't mean it's going to die. It basically means that it's a bit weaker and it's more going to be more susceptible to other things. It, you know what, Lockie, it's a bit like when you get a cold or if you get sick. If you get sick, you have to stay at home in bed or if you get really sick, you might have to go to hospital. But if you've got a strong body, if you've been eating well, you've been eating all your spinach at dinner time, you've been eating everything that mummy and daddy says, you've got a good diet, you get lots of rest and you're nice and healthy, when you get sick, you recover quickly. If you, if you are not healthy and then you get sick, it takes a long time to get better, doesn't it? And that's the same with coral. If a coral is strong and healthy to start with, when something comes along like, a bit of hot water and it bleaches a bit, the coral will recover quickly. But if the coral's sick to start with, if it's been affected by ocean acidification, if it's been affected by bleaching yesterday or last week or last month, and something else happens, then if it's weaker, it won't recover as quickly, or in fact, it may die. So the idea is that if coral is strong to start with, then it will recover from these little illnesses, if you want to call them that that come along every now and then. But if a coral is, has been weak for a long time, then maybe it won't recover. But corals are pretty strong, you know, and most of the time they will recover. But if 
climate change progresses as it's uh, thought it will, then that might be a different story down the track. Mm -hmm. So, Pop, what can we do to protect the reef? That's an excellent question, Lockie, and there are lots and lots of things that we can do to protect the reef. One of the most important things we can do to protect the reef, like protecting the environment generally, is to do exactly what you're doing now, and that's learn more about it. Read books, listen to podcasts, study hard at school, Lockie, and learn more about the natural environment and how it works and how it affects people and how we can look after it. One way to learn more is to visit the environment, visit the Great Barrier Reef or visit a coral reef or visit a kauri forest, for example, in New Zealand to learn more about how important, in that case, kauri trees are and how that we can look after those forests. We can go to aquariums or go to the museum to learn about the reef or, better still, you can go and visit it yourself. And if you do, there's a few little rules that are very, very important to help protect the reef. The first one, obviously, is to leave no trace of your visit. Don't break any coral. Make sure you don't stand on coral. Make sure if you're swimming in it, you don't kick it with your feet or your fins. Leave no trace. Leave no rubbish lying around. And, may, and show a lot of respect for the environment. There's a little phrase that you can use. It says, look but don't take, or even look but don't touch. And that way that you'll preserve the coral or the, or the environment that you're in for other people to look at down the track and in the future. And respect other people and respect their visit to the reef and to the natural environment as well. So if you see another group there and they're looking at something, just be careful that you're not interfering with their use. And that way everybody will have a good time and everybody will have a good experience. And that's the important thing. So... There's a few things. The other obvious ones that we all learn about at school, don't litter, use less plastic bags. And, and here's a good one. When you go to the shops, when mum and dad go to the shops to do their groceries, just check on the labels of some of the products that come out of the ocean and to see whether these things are sustainably caught or harvested. For example, you can look on the side of a can of tuna or salmon and it will tell you whether it's been responsibly fished you can also, in some supermarkets, maybe at your local count down there, you can look at the fresh fish or the fresh seafood and it should have a little label on it that says whether it's responsibly harvested or whether it's been perhaps farmed. But in any event, look for labelling that shows you that the product that you've got has been sustainably harvested. And that's just a few of the things that you can do to help look after the natural environment, but most of all, talk about it. Talk about it at the dinner table, for example, because I know that a lot of kids these days are learning a lot about the environment through things like podcasts and at school, but their parents don't know as much as they do. And so it's always good for the kids to come home and talk about sustainable fishing, for example, or the best way to use a coral and visit a coral reef or to visit a forest and talk about it around the dinner table. So that means that Mum and Dad are just as educated as the kids. Thanks, Pop. You are very welcome, Lockie. I'm very, very happy to answer your questions. And good luck with your podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Kids Ask Why podcast with Lockie, Dad and Pop. Please leave a like and subscribe. 
see you next time when we talk about pets.